Hey, everybody, on our podcast, we talk about hanging out in Hollywood while on our way to being the next big thing. I'm William Leon, and acting is my full-time job. And I'm Mark Marcello, a director, actor, writer, and choreographer. And this is... Made in Hollywood. Today on our podcast, we're talking about meeting famed TV director James Burroughs. And thinking outside the Hollywood box. What does that mean? Stay tuned. And today we'd like to wish a happy birthday to Dan Aykroyd. And Leslie Caron. So how you doing, Mark? I'm good. You know, I was really uh, excited the other night when you got us tickets to see this incredible guy. James Burroughs. The James Burroughs. The James Burroughs. And and originally when I got us the tickets, I had told you that it was, we were going to see Jason Bateman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you know I love Jason Bateman. Yeah, I knew you loved Jason Bateman and I wasn't like fully like privy on everything James Burroughs yet. (laughs) so i was like i was like oh this will get mark into it i was like jason bateman's gonna be there and jason bateman was there he was the one that was uh interviewing yeah he was the moderator basically well i mean i guess not even moderator because he was just the interviewer it was just the two of them it was an evening with james burroughs hosted by jason bateman it was hosted by jason bateman which was awesome yeah it was very cool at that uh theater in beverly hills what's that theater called uh, that was the Wallace. The Wallace. The Wallace. Thank I should you. know that because I did a play there. <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> I was Why literally just there things? performing. <laughs> um, yeah, the Wallace. Um, yeah, it was so cool. Um, well, first of all, I was super excited to see Jason Bateman in person for my second time in my life. First time was at the Dodger game, sat right next to him. He was just there eating a bunch of peanuts, kind of looking kind of grumpy. Really? But uh, I did sneak a picture of him. He probably noticed and did not appreciate it. Oh, really? Yeah. You have the picture? Yeah, someplace. Oh, wow. You're going to have to show me that. Yeah. I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. Oh, yeah. You waited uh, until the podcast. So I didn't actually go up to him, though. <laughs> and I really feel like I, I wanted to, but it looked like he was just having a chill Dodgers moment. Like, he's a big Dodgers fan. So, um, um, You know, I feel like I've been to, like, so many Dodgers games out here, and I'm not a baseball fan or a Dodgers fan. I've, I've been to so many Dodgers games. Um, I'm not a fan at all, but I just end up, Somebody ends up like getting me tickets and I go. And I've always caught a foul ball. What? Every time. I think I've been to like four games. And you always catch a foul? Every time. What? It's a curse. It's a curse. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. I was trying to figure out what's the opposite of curse, but also a charm put on you. <laughs> it's a blessing. <laughs> um, blessing, not a burden. Come on. Um, I, uh, I, the first time I did, I got one. This is so off topic of what we're talking about. But the first time I got one, I got it signed by a, uh, uh, like a motorcycle driver, but one of the, like the professional ones that like does it on those dirt roads and stuff. Oh yeah. It's like a cross something. They do it. I don't know. It's like a race car driver with motorcycles. So he signed it. Um, my boat, my baseball. Um, cause I don't know. I was really young when I did that. I was a weird kid. So that's what I got it signed by. You were, you were a weird kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so but anyway, I. we're so, so off topic from James Burroughs. Oh yeah. So um, James Burroughs, great, great. I mean, one of the biggest of all time TV directors. And, uh, so we're talking Mary Tyler Moore show. Cheers. Frasier, Will and Grace, Valerie, which is one of my favorites, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. Friends, um, on and on and on and on. I, yeah. There's so many that, but those are the the ones that everybody's gonna know. Everyone's yeah. gonna know those. Yeah, he's uh, a pretty spectacular guy. He was great, and I guess 
I mean, theoretically, I guess he's retired now. He has written a book um, called Directed by James Burroughs. Which we both bought and got signed by him. Yeah, so we got to meet him. Yeah, we got to meet him briefly. Br- very briefly. Very he seemed briefly. kind of grumpy by the time he got to me, by the way. <laughs> he did seem like it. <laughs> he was over me. Like, <laughs> well, he was just, yeah, he, he had already signed a lot. I think his hand was getting tired from signing everyone. Yeah. Everyone's name and stuff. <laughs> Um, but it was nice that he like got our names and wrote our names in there and made it personal. Yeah, which I like. I like if I'm going to get a, a, a signature from anybody, because I'm not really big on signatures, but if I'm going to get a book and they're going to sign the book, which is really cool, then I want it to be personalized. I'm not there to eBay it later. Yeah, I, I want that book to have, you know, for me. You know? Right. <clears throat> but anyway, what was your favorite favorite part of that night? Seeing Jason Bateman. Seeing Jason Bateman. <laughs> I loved seeing Jason Bateman. I don't know if it was my favorite. I mean, I think originally I expected that to be my favorite part. Right. right. Um, I for sure did because, like, I'm just such a big Jason Bateman fan. Um, but I don't know. Hearing um, James Burroughs talk, there were so many things that were so interesting to me, like um, him talking about Andy Kaufman. Which, yeah, that was neat. That was really neat. Like, so he talked all, all about... Andy Kaufman being a performance artist, not really an actor, but a performance artist, mm-hmm. which is very different and something I actually don't really quite understand right. myself. Yeah, but I mean, I guess we can talk about it now. It was really interesting what he what he what he mentioned. Like, yeah, it was it was very interesting because like there was this story that he told um, about Andy Kaufman where it was just like Andy Kaufman uh, when he was doing Taxi. He, he, when he made the agreement to do Taxi, he said that he wanted his other personality um, to be on Taxi. As well. I, as on, he, he got, on like one episode. I yes, think. he got a guest, he got a guest appearance by his... His other, <laughs> his, his like other person. Yeah. His ultimate identity. But it was just so interesting how like, how this other guy essentially, which it was still Andy Coffin, but it wasn't. This other guy came to set and was just such a problem. Um, and Andy Coffin was never a problem, but he came to set. He was smoking. Andy Coffin never smoked. He was just such a, he was just like such a problem. And they ended up having to fire him. And he said, uh, he said no. And he said, okay, if you're going to fire me, I want to do it with a prostitute on each knee. And it's just like so ridiculous. Like the stories are just so ridiculous. That's why I kind of want to do an episode where we talk about it because he's such an interesting guy. Yeah. And such a. And yet I don't know his work that well. Uh, I mean, a little bit from the slivers I've seen of Taxi. I don't either. I saw Uh, Man on the Moon. With with Jim Carrey? Was that with Jim Carrey? It's a movie where Jim Carrey is playing Andy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And R.E.M. wrote the song Man on the Moon. And like. Yes. And then I think they released a doc. That's possible. After yeah. that was... So I didn't see the movie. I didn't. I haven't seen any of this. So they released the... I, don't call, <laughs> so we're talking about something we have don't no, quote me on this, no idea. I think they released a doc afterwards. <laughs> we don't know anything about this. That was about... Yeah, we don't know anything about this, but here's what I think it is. <laughs> Somebody released... They released a doc afterwards on Netflix that is the making of Man on the Moon. Because I think Jim Carrey went like, uh, essentially kind of method with it and like was... Like Andy Kaufman, it was like a little crazy. Oh scary. boy! Um, <laughs> uh, oh boy! Um, but I, that's why I want to do more research on all this because I think it'd be interesting to do an episode about it. Um, but um, but back to James Burroughs. Well, I think James Burroughs is thought of as a very kind, very giving director, mm-hmm. and not every director on set is. Not mm-hmm. a, some of them don't even, you know. Uh, 
discuss with the actors. Some of them are mean and some of them are, you know, screamers. And apparently he is really calm and really kind and sort of a father figure on set, which I, I kind of believe that a, a director should be the father figure of the set. Yeah. And um, and it was interesting because uh, he was being interviewed by Jason Bateman, who met James Burroughs when he was 15 years old. And I believe on the show Valerie, which is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. Mm-hmm. And that was such a funny, great show. And it was starred Valerie Harper uh, Jason Bateman, Josh Taylor, and then when Valerie Harper left, it was then taken over by Sandy Duncan, and it was ruined. Just saying, <laughs> it was ruined. Although we still love Jason Bateman, James Burroughs is known as like the guy. He's the, he. If you want your show to go, so like when you make a show, you make a pilot. And somebody directs that pilot. Pilot is the first episode. It's basically the test episode for the network to decide whether they're going to put this show on the air or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently, if you in this town want your pilot to go, which means that network picks it up and you're going to get a series order and you're going to get a a season or 13 episodes or whatever you're going to get ordered um, that you get to make, then you want James Burroughs on your directing staff like that's you, what i've heard yeah you want that's him like, to direct the pilot you want him to set the tone and the director of the first episode always sets the tone for the entire show right and james burroughs as far as sitcoms go he is the guy right that's what i've heard i've heard if you want your show to go you get james burrow yeah and the, and and there <laughs> there are a few of those guys um, in town that are like kind of your go-to guys but as far as sitcoms go over the past 40 years uh-huh. it's been james burroughs yeah that yeah. which so it was really cool to see him it was really cool to hear him speak and and you know and and as as legends in this town get older like mm. that like that like it's nice to be able to see them to hear them talk to you know you know, just to kind of see like what they have to offer as far as like a little bit of wisdom, you know, you never know what you're going to pick up. You never know what you're going to get from reading a book, watching a movie, uh, watching a show, talking to somebody who has lived it Mm -hmm. and really done it. And he's one of those people. Yeah. That's, that's part of the reason. I mean, it was great to hear him talking and everything. It's part of the reason I'm really excited to read his book though, because there's just, he has so much insight, which, uh, which they did read uh, a part from while we were there, which was the letter he wrote to Mary Tyler Moore. Well, I thought it was interesting because he came from a, a, a showbiz family. His dad was on Broadway and like do, doing, you mm-hmm. know, uh, doing stuff behind the scenes on Broadway. And so he kind of had, uh, you know, he came from a famous family already. Like he had a shoe in as far as showbiz went, um, but he really wanted to get into TV mm-hmm. And so he had worked a little bit with Mary Tyler Moore in the past. I guess not a lot, but what happened was he then wrote a letter mm-hmm. to Mary Tyler Moore. And um, I, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but, uh, you know, he basically, you know, he kind of reintroduces himself in the letter and tells her what he's been doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is the time of the Mary Tyler Moore show in the 70s. And that was such a huge, huge hit. Right. And so this is, I thought this excerpt was really kind of neat. Uh, It was so well written where he says, but I think it's time for me to attempt to make a move, take a giant leap, change keys, or to put it delicately, get my ass in gear. 
and involve myself in television. So I thought I would go right to the top, to the best, and ask if there is any opening, small or smaller, that I can fill. I think my training in theater will be valuable to me in TV. However, right now nothing can be as valuable as being where the action is, and as far as I'm concerned, the action is where you are. I think it's... The thing is, it's it's like an out-of-the-box way of... I, I mean, not a lot of people are, are right. Even though I think that that's such a good idea to like write a letter to... I did this. I wrote a letter to I wrote a letter to Danny DeVito, which I'll talk about. But um, um, I think it's such a good idea to like find someone that maybe you admire and try and and yeah and like write a letter like he did. You know, it there's a good chance it won't work out. But um, I don't know. There. Well, there's something there's, to be said for thinking outside the Hollywood box. Yeah. And see, here in Hollywood, <laughs> there's there's an etiquette to yeah. be followed. Like you don't, you don't do this. You don't do that. You don't, you don't get a job as an extra on a set and then walk up to the director and say, Hey, I want to do what you do one day. Or, Hey, would you put me in your next show? Like you don't do that. There are things that you don't do in this town. Um, I had a friend one time say to me, Oh, you know, like he was the writer and, um, he said like yeah you know uh i'm i'm gonna get on to warner brothers and i'm gonna bring my script and i'm gonna go drop it off at so-and-so's office Mm -hmm. and i was like you can't do that like they'll kick you out and they will never read it it's the it's a stupid idea and he got really mad at me for kind of bludgeoning his little dream mm. of like this is what I'm this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to get my foot in the door this is how I'm going to get somebody big to read my script well the thing is is like in this town you drop your script off on somebody's desk there that's going right in the trash because they legally cannot read it right it's unsolicited material sure. so you have to for whatever reason it's a little odd but i guess it kind of tempers things where you have to have your materials be it your script or your directing reel or what have you you have to have that submitted to an office to like a producer or a production company by an agent or a lawyer Mm -hmm. in order for them to even consider looking at it right if you walk in as a layman person they are going to reject you right out the box because legally they cannot look at it. It because they could get sued if you if they if you say later oh they stole it, you know they stole my idea blah 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 like hmm. so they protect themselves by you know it coming through the proper channels. Interesting. I didn't even know that. <clears throat> like that you that they literally can't look at it. They cannot. They cannot, and they won't, and they're and they actually kind of use it as that gatekeeping, you know, thing. You know, you can't get through these gates. Basically, is mm. the deal. Uh, and and I think a, I think some of it they're kind of leaning on that whole like, oh, we don't want to get sued thing. Mm. But I think a lot of it is like, if they didn't do that, every every man and woman and child and dog would be at their doorstep dropping stuff no. off. Right. And they don't, you know, they're obviously protecting themselves in that right. whole thing. And and that makes sense to me, too. I I think that the legalese stuff is more, um, you know, 
uh, a bit of a front. Right. But, but so, it is still true. So is there anything that you have done that you can think of that was like thinking outside the Hollywood box, like how James Burroughs wrote the letter to Mary Tyler Moore? I mean, I know I'll tell like I'll like quickly tell because there's not much to tell here. But when I was younger, I was like 16, 17. I was a big fan of Danny DeVito. I still am a big fan of Danny DeVito. I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, I love a lot of Danny DeVito's movies. Um, and I wrote him a letter. Um, and yet you still haven't seen Romancing the Stone. Right. I still wow. haven't seen Romancing the Stone. Although wow. that new movie that just came out with uh, that one girl and Brad Pitt. Um, it's like, I think That it's, one girl? You mean Sandra Bullock? Yeah, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> and it's also Channing Tatum and then Brad Pitt's a supporting character. In it. Okay. <laughs> it's called Lost City. Yeah. It was great, but it is a remake That's of what I was Romancing say. the Stone. Re- but not a lot of people know that. That's yeah. why I mentioned it. They didn't publicize it as that. <laughs> they didn't but publicize it's true. it as that. It's for real a remake. Like they even like when they stood up there at I talked about it because uh, they were at South by Southwest and they I saw it there and then Sandra Bullock and uh, and uh, Dan Daniel Radcliffe was there and they, like they don't even talk about the fact that it's like you know yeah I think that's interesting it, that they just did not mention that. It's also a thing yeah. that happens in music a lot is a lot of people are like sampling other people's songs. And like you, like a lot of the younger, like I mean, me, I'm like, I, I'll listen to it. I'll be like, oh, this is such a great song. And then I'll show it to you. And you're like, this came out like so many years ago. Yeah. And it's like, it's another song. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's so many songs these days that you're just like, oh, I, you think that, and you think it's like, oh, it's the, the it's that old song. And then, <laughs> and then something, somebody else like starts like rapping or something. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, so once again, sampling. Yeah. And that's what that's called. And they, you know, I'm sure they pay for it and everything, but it kind of is a bummer that like the newer generation of people don't really realize that it's, um, you know, it yeah. has, there's all this history with this song, and it's such a great song that they're sampling. Right. That they really should, you know, go listen to that great song because it's great. Sure. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I agree with you. But um, back to my Danny DeVito letter. I re- <laughs> hey, man, we got off track. <laughs> I'm telling my Danny DeVito story. <laughs> Started talking about romance. Come hell or high water. You're going to tell this story. Um, yeah. So I'm a big fan of Danny DeVito. Um, I, so I wrote him a letter. I also really wanted to work on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is still going. So that dream's still alive. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the longest running sitcom, like uh, still on TV now. I'm pretty sure that's true. But isn't it a one camera? Yeah, it's still, that's still single camera. It's single camera. It's still single camera sitcom. Single camera comedy. I don't know Single camera is still considered sitcom, I think. It's just not a multi-camera sitcom. Single camera, multi-camera. Yes, I always think of multi-cam as sitcoms and and single cam as single cam comedy. Yeah, I guess. Because there's no live audience. A sitcom, a situational comedy, in my head at least, and I might be wrong about this, but in my head at least, I'm thinking live audience Three or four cameras. It's actually four cameras now. Right. And um, starting with Taxi, I think that's what no. James Burroughs said. What? That, I don't know. He said that Taxi was his first. Oh, the first four cam. Yeah, that was his first time using four cams. Might have not been the first time. I don't know. But I assume. It, I but assume it, it would be him. It probably <laughs> is him. It's probably him. Uh, uh, he said he was using three cameras up until Taxi. that. That that very very well may be. But I I actually do think a sitcom. Is. Yeah, I don't know. You might be right. I've always said, oh, single camera sitcom, multi camera sitcom. That's how I've like differentiated them. But I don't know. But um, either way, um, I love 
It's always sunny and I wanted to be and I want to work on it. So I wrote Danny DeVito a letter and I sent it to him, uh, to him somehow and I never heard anything back. And I never... <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great end of the story. Um, yeah, there's not much to it. I wish I could find my letter so I could um, quote it here. But yeah, I, I never heard anything back. But I should have followed up, I think. And I should have wrote another one because I was like I was a young kid that was really ambitious and I was like writing letters to Danny DeVito. I feel like I could have gotten somewhere with that if I if I tried if I tried harder. So I don't know. I just think there's something there's something to it, and I think that maybe more people should think about doing that. Yeah, I've done some stupid things too. <laughs> it's not stupid. <laughs> it's not stupid. You never know what's gonna do what. You, no, you don't. And especially when you're younger, you really think like, this is how it's going to happen. Like, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna notice me. Yeah. And it would be so great if that happened. Uh, but sometimes I, I think it helps if you've if you've worked with them like James Burroughs worked with Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, I think that probably helps a bit. Well, yeah, I think that then they actually will read your letter versus it getting stopped by the assistant or the agent or somebody like that. You know, yeah. because that's yeah. My I wonder who stopped my letter. There's a lot of stuff that comes in those offices, so that they just throw things out and they just like. I do think though that it's good to think outside the Hollywood box. The Hollywood box is really confining, and I and I gotta say, like I, I worked a long time uh, trying to be really good and very smart about my etiquette in mm-hmm. this town, and I really think that maybe isn't the best idea. So what is something that you can, like, is there something that you've done or, like, you would suggest doing that, like, is, that you feel could be, could help improve your career or just, like, something you've done that's outside the Hollywood box that you can think of? When I was just out of college, I, (laughs) this was dumb, Uh, I, uh, I found out where Carrie Fisher lived. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> tell me more and uh i had just made a musical film short mm-hmm. and i was like well carrie fisher would love this right so uh i went i got a vhs copy of it and i put it in her mailbox with a note saying like how much i you know i loved her mother's career debbie reynolds Whoever doesn't know that, and they should know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, and that um, you know, here's my movie, and like you should just think I'm great. <laughs> I didn't hear anything back from that. No, <laughs> no. I don't think it's a bad idea, though. I mean, it, it's it's. I mean, it's a little bit of an invasion of privacy. It's a little bit of an invasion of privacy. I think. You know, looking back on my 21 year old self. I'm thinking. I'm trying to like put myself in her shoes. If I was this celebrity, and I, I don't know. I always like receiving more mail. (laughs) I, (laughs) I love mail and I love packages. It's like little presents that I get to open every day. So I feel like if I was, I think it just depends on the person. Maybe, maybe I think if you did it to enough celebrities, and this is you're either gonna get blacklisted (laughs) or. Yeah. Or someone's going to bite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you always hear about these little stories of like, this person did this and like it was, and then they discovered them and it was incredible and that was how they got ahead. And like, I don't even know if those are true stories or if it's publicity because everything's fake. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know, man. I hear these discovery stories too, and I feel like I just need to be discovered. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Where where's shrafts when you need it? Like where are those drugstore counters that you can hang out at and you just like, like with, wait? Like with uh like with we mentioned before, um, that show that Zendaya does. Um well, oh, oh euphoria. euphoria yeah like a lot of the people on that show are not even actors like the one girl we already talked about this but yeah or the one guy i think it's a guy um was apparently just working at like a gas station and the casting director was there and was like hey you like seem like you could be in my show euphoria that's just stupid <laughs> i think it's ridiculous um but yeah that we're i <sighs> i guess we just gotta work at all the gas stations oh god more gas know. stations I just saw a chance to throw out at a gas station. I told you that last yeah. week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to do it in a smart way, in an intelligent way, and in a way that it does not um, push boundaries that are maybe uncomfortable for people. Especially mm-hmm. now, there's so many stalkers. There's so many internet things. There's so many people coming at, at yeah, celebrities. I feel like, you know, I feel like people. times are also changing. And, like, there's that story of Steven Spielberg, um, like, breaking into universal and setting up an office like something like that which we i know we talked about it but just to bring it back up i don't know if that's completely true but if it is that could never happen now no not now that could never happen well now you have you have cameras everywhere you have digital ids everywhere you have so i feel like it's kind of it's kind of hard because you we also used to send postcards to casting director which i still in the pandemic it got weird because it was like they weren't even in office anymore yeah so it was hard to figure out where look but i know know that everybody says you should still do that and like i honestly i don't think that works i I really don't get auditions like like i i would send it to specific cast directors and then i would like notice i would like start to get auditions as a kid yeah i was as a kid as a kid what's so different as a kid well there's a lot of kids listening to the podcast maybe no, oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. If Might you're be kid, good information. If you're a kid, that's good information. I, honestly, like, kid, the kid pool, the not kiddie pool, the, kiddie pool. <laughs> the pool of kids in this town is small. Right. The pool of adults, is everybody it? over 18, is millions and oh, millions. Oh, yeah, that's big. Listen, it's totally different. And then it thins out as you get older again. Older people, that pool is small as well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but, I guess it but makes as sense. A like, lot of people quit. Oh my god, so many people quit. I mean, I feel like almost all my friends that I started with in this town are not here anymore. Uh huh. They've quit. They've moved on. They've. I mean, I know tons of I, tons of people that were friends of mine when I was younger have quit. I mean, yeah. pretty much most of my friends when I was younger that I that were in the industry or acting when we were like both ten or eleven or twelve have all quit now. Yeah, well, it definitely happens with kids. You know, as kids grow into their 20s, all of a sudden they're like, now nah, I'm going to go to college. Now nah, I'm going to, you know, I want to do this as a profession. I've changed my mind. Yeah. And also, a lot of times parents push their kids into this. Yes. Which is a weird thing to me. That a it is weird. Would push their kid to into the... this. <laughs> into this. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, don't wanna, I don't understand. Um, and then. There are the people in their 20s that come here, you know, in college or right after college, and they're like gung ho and they're like, they're here, you know, they're gonna give it their four years or their two years or their 10 years or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
and then they get into their 30s and then they get married and then they have a kid and then they you know, oh, I've got a kid now. I've got to make money. I've got to like have a house and I've got to do this and I got to that and I've got to raise this thing and um yeah, and I think so many people just leave. Oh, dude, I could not handle a kid. I think a kid would ruin my life. They might ruin your life. <laughs> I mean, you've kind of ruined mine. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like we've talked about so much. I, I know. We've, we've gone. I, I love that you felt like <laughs> it felt like that this wasn't enough to talk about. <laughs> yeah, before we started, I, we were like saying, "Oh, we're going to talk about um, James Burroughs," and that was basically like the like most of it. We were like, "We'll mention the letter he did." <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if that'll be enough to talk about, but we've just like gone off on tangents every which way. But speaking of James Burroughs, in dedication to James Burroughs, we are doing a new segment. But we haven't started it yet. Right. <laughs> we have decided to pick a show mm-hmm. that we both have never seen. And uh, we're going to start watching it and then fill you in on the, in. on what we every, every like every couple episode. weeks. Every couple weeks we'll watch an episode. Yeah. And fill you in. And the, the show we chose is Taxi. <laughs> Taxi. Taxi. <laughs> Taxi. <laughs> oh my never saw it, never wanted to, but in light of uh, James Burroughs and inspiring us, we are going to... This is our new segment. But um, <laughs> that's a segment that we're going to have to start probably in the next week or two, once we actually watch the first episode of Taxi. Right now... That's my pick. What's the trick? That's my pick. What's the trick? This segment's called... Flicks that stick. Flicks that stick. <laughs> Which basically is just going to be us talking about uh, like one of our favorite movies. It's a flick that stuck with us, essentially. Yes. <laughs> so, tell me one of your flicks that st- sticks. <laughs> one of my flicks that sticks? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've already talked about this flick on the podcast before, but I haven't really talked about why. Um it sticks with me so much, and I love it so, so much. Um, but it's Shawshank Redemption. Um, and the reason Shawshank Redemption... There's so many reasons Shawshank Redemption is, like... It's actually my favorite movie of all time. It's not just one of the flicks that stuck. It's the flick that stuck. <laughs> um, um, but the reason it stuck so hard is because... Well, for one, I can rewatch it. Like, I can literally watch the whole movie, and it's a pretty long movie, and then just start it over again just because it's, like, so great. Um, but I love the dialogue feels like poetry to me, like, really like poetry. It's not, at least in in my experience, how I've ever seen anybody talk. Like, movies nowadays are very real. Like, they're, like, so real to the point where they're, like, hiring. If they want a gas station employee, they hire a real gas station employee. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Or they, nope. if they want a doctor, they hire a real doctor. It's, like, crazy. It's, like, so real. So, like, Shawshank is, like, it's real, but also they they take liberties with, I feel like, and it's also written by uh, Stephen King, who's, like, an author. So, like, I guess, like, probably a lot of the lines are, are I mean, they were written to be, like, poetic and stuff because they were from this book. Um... They're just, it's so poetic, I think. And I just, the lines, like, they just make me, like, feel something. Some Like, e- there's so many lines in it that just really spark emotion in me. 
and I, there's just nothing like it that I've experienced. It's so interesting to me that you have never been attracted to watching old movies from the 40s and 50s. Because what you describe here with Shawshank is what old films have. Yeah. And it's uh, an old professor of mine. I mean, um, I also love the story (laughs) of Shawshank. I hope so. (laughs) But an old professor of mine at USC uh, named uh, Dr. Drew Casper used to talk about the, um, the emotion of old films and that there the he would be like the the beauty and the emotion of these films that does not exist anymore it does there's it's so rare to to sit in a movie and feel as deeply that you're watching something so beautiful in some way as you do with like an old film i mean there some of it and now t- I'm gonna talk about with with my choice here with my pick. Um, some of it is um, the music mm-hmm. that we have gotten away from themes in music. Uh, part of what made Star Wars so successful was that every character had a, a musical theme, right? And like so, uh, Princess Leia has a theme, and and Darth Vader has a theme, and Luke has a theme, and you know, uh, and those those emit an emotional response. Yeah. It's so interesting that we've kind of gotten away from that because you would think you would think you would think we wouldn't have it. And you would think something like the Marvel universe, all would, those characters would utilize that. You'd think they would idea. utilize that. And all those characters would have their own theme song. I, I have no, not I, have, I, have I mean, there's no Spider-Man. favorite. I have no, yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man. That's I mean, but it. that's from the sixties. Yeah, I know they don't, they don't still, they don't use that today. Yeah. Um, which I think that might be a little weird if they use it today, yeah, but if weird. they had something, but like a theme, you know, but a musical theme for in a score is a lot different than a theme song for a TV show. Exactly. Um, it's Yeah, I just think it's so weird that we've gotten away from that. I think something like The Machine That's Marvel, you would think would be doing something. But I, I have no favorite composers these days. No favorite film composers because I don't feel like anyone brings me in. Any composer mm-hmm. brings me in like that yeah. in a movie. Uh, there is nobody I get excited about. Why do people love John Williams so much? Why? Because you can sing his music. Yeah. You can hum his music. It stays in your head. Da 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 da. You know that song. Yeah. Everybody knows that song. You know the theme from ET. I actually I agree with you on this point. Um, pretty hard, pretty hard. So my I, I so I really think that you. And I can't wait for you to start watching the older films that you guys have on your checklist that we talked about last week. Yeah. Um, because I really think that you're going to start realizing how incredible old films are. Um, my pick of one of my favorite movies and the flick that sticks uh, <laughs> for me is King's Row. Which I tend to say is my favorite movie of all time, although I think it's my favorite drama of all time. King's Row is a 1942 Warner Brothers classic that starred Robert Cummings, uh, Betty Field, Ronald Reagan, and Anne Sheridan. And um, it is something I grew up watching. My dad loved this movie, and so all all us kids watched it for uh, Best Picture that year. It's just a little movie about life in a small town. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of course, I love because I grew up in a small town. I always love those movies for whatever reason. Right. Hate in Place, which we mentioned last time, right. is one of those as well. But I think what, what really sticks out for me is what the music that Eric Wolfgang Korngold created for this movie. So when I was at SC, um, David Raxon, who's also a film composer, he composed Laura and uh, Bad and the Beautiful and wonderful uh, uh, scores like that. Um, he he talked about Korngold. He was like, yeah, there was Max Steiner over there and there was Franz Waxman over there and there was da 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 over there. And he was like, but then there was Korngold. But the, what the music does, it's just so lovely mm-hmm. and just emits so much depth of feeling. I like that. Yeah, I really like it when movies are like that. I wish they still, I wish there was still some of that now, but I really don't feel like there's much of it. Um, I haven't seen a movie recently that like the score has stuck with me. Um, that it, Not a new movie. Um yeah, so when they made, remember when they made Far and Away with Julianne Moore and Elmer Bernstein, they brought Elmer Bernstein in to do the score and they kind of tried to do it. You know, it was set in the 50s, uh-huh. um, you know, kind of a, a, a nice, beautiful story. Um, and they really, like the music is very pretty. I don't think they quite hit it. Um, Elmer Bernstein, I don't really feel like was one of those great, great like luscious composers you know mm-hmm. of the of those days i don't really feel like he really did that but he he i think he really tried for this film film because they wanted it to be like that right but yeah we don't we don't have we don't even have big scores like star wars et yeah. indiana jones we don't even have that anymore yeah and i think it comes back to the i don't know this like trying to keep everything like really grounded and like really reality yeah and i feel like the films i i I come to like really really fall in love with are the ones that have reality but it's a heightened a heightened reality it's a heightened reality because that that's that that really makes it so i feel like you can be poetic with it and Mm -hmm. and like really like get artistic with it and I don't know. There's nothing like those movies. If it's a gift to up, please let me know. If it's a gift, you better just say so. So uh, I got you. You got me a pack sun bag again. <laughs> yes, you are welcome. Okay. Oh, hello. It's a hat. Tis a hat. I love hats. <laughs> you know that. Um. What? Uh. Oh. D E N L. D E and I. Oh, D E and I. Activision. Oh, Activision Blizzard. Oh, this is a like a video game. Uh, so it's not video a video game. game. So hat? it's it's an Activision hat, um, and they put out this hat for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh. And so that's what the D E and I stand for. And then you've got. But I figured since you love gaming, I, I do. I really love gaming. This is a nice hat too. One hundred percent cotton. The classics. This is a really good hat. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely gonna wear this. Oh, good. <laughs> I also love the green at the bottom. This yeah, is a nice I, one. I saw that. I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, I'll get that." You know. Yeah. Yeah. It was at it was re- at the Juneteenth festival across the street, and uh, oh, really? Activision had a booth, and I was like, "Oh, I should get that for uh, for William." So. Oh, this was honestly, this might be my favorite gift you've uh, you've gotten me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, the Apple TV is pretty cool. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, this is up there with Apple TV. I oh, really, okay. really like this. Oh, good. Yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. 
Um, well, I guess that's it, right? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, wait. No, I, I, Mark, I've got one more question for you. Wait, 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 what? Who pays for porn? Oh, I don't know. I don't. Oh. Well, I don't either. Huh. Well, that settles that. Hey, Mark, if people want to find us and follow us uh, on the social medias, you know, where could they do that? Well, I think they could just go to Instagram, William, and find us at Made in Hollywood Podcast. Oh, all right.